Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa, those in our South Sanctuary, those who are watching at Speedway, and those who are watching online. Hey, before we move on, this is a very special day for our congregation at Speedway. Uh, today, to this very day, uh, is the six-year anniversary of them moving into the facility up there. They can hear you. Right now, we're live. Let's give it up for our Speedway. Folks, we love you guys. You're awesome. Woo! Yeah. That is uh, pretty, pretty cool. Well, um, uh, we're excited that you're here today, and we know we always have guests in every one of our services, and I want to tell you that you could not have picked a better Sunday to try out Westside Family Church, particularly if you're looking for a church, because today you're not going to just hear from me, but you're going to see in person what we are made of and what really drives us. So I'm super excited uh, and we got a lot to talk about today. Are you ready to dive into the Word? Yeah. All right. Jeff said we're ready. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm excited. You excited? I'm excited. That, no, that's Melissa's line. I'm sorry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity of gathering together, of encouraging one another, of lifting up your name, reminding us that we are secure in you. We have nothing to worry about. And now as we open up your Word... I pray that all of us right now would tell you that we are ready to receive what you have for us today because you never lead us in a path other than that which is amazingly great. We trust you and believe in you and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, uh, we have been through a tremendous amount together over these last few years, haven't we? I, I, I mean, I, re I remember the whole racial tension thing that happened a few years ago. That was pretty challenging. And then right on the heels of that was a, a global pandemic, and we worked our way through that. And now we have this crisis in Israel, uh, and it's not only over there in Israel, but it's made its way here to the States with all kinds of conflict and anger and confusion. And I have to tell you, as it relates to this Israel conflict, uh, I've got eight years of theological training, and so I have a sense or at least an idea from a biblical historical perspective what my thoughts are on what's going on over there, but I really had a, a hard time understanding all the political stuff that's happened, and so this last week I listened to a two and a half hour podcast. One hour was given to um, an Israeli who talked about um, the history and the politics from their point of view. And then I listened to an hour of a Palestinian uh, telling about their historical point of view. And uh, I listened to both of them. And what I recognize is that both of them, very, very smart people, both of them referred exactly to all the dates throughout history. They recalled the same exact events, but they had two totally different points of view as to what was unfolding leaving uh, me still a little bit confused as to how to think uh, about all of that from a political, historical point of view. But the question for us in this room is how do we think about that uh, as followers of Jesus Christ? And I have a couple of suggestions for you. Number one, we must ask the question, is this the sign that Jesus is returning soon? And the answer to that question is... I believe from Scripture that we are to live every single day of our life 
with the expectation that it could be today. And so how I act and how I relate and what I give my priorities to are on the basis that he could return today. Now, for me personally, um, and you could ask me after the service some more specifics, I do believe that the signs are showing that probably in the next 10 years, uh, between today or sometime in the next 10 years, ask me after the service. A couple people did after the last service, and I gave him my point of view, but that's all it is, is my point of view, because Jesus said, no one knows but the Father, right? But he did give me some insights, and so I'd be glad to share those with you. <laughs> the second thing I would suggest to you, given this conflict, is do not live in fear. Do not live in fear. 365 times the scripture declares, fear not. Fear not, fear not. It is the most stated command in all the scriptures. Why? We don't need to fear when God's on our side. Give me an amen for that, right? Number three, do not under any circumstances retaliate with hatred in your own life. Jesus said not only love your neighbor as yourself, but he took it up a notch and said, I want you to even love your enemies. And if you're a follower of Christ, man, you'll dig deep to do that. And my fourth and final suggestion is that our best plan of attack is to be generous, is generosity. That we would come alongside of people at their point of pain and simply meet them there with generous love. And at the end of the day, I promise you, in Christ, love will always win. Yeah. And that is what this unshakable journey has been all about. That we are living in times where the world has been shaken But we can live unshakable lives if we will have the courage to build our lives on the solid rock foundation of Christ. And one of the concepts or principles of living a solid rock life is to have and possess a heart of generosity. A follower of Christ who wants to live an unshakable life has a heart of generosity. But the question becomes, how do we get it? How do we get a heart of generosity? And that's what I want to talk to you about today from the scriptures. We're in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 over these six weeks. It is the longest discourse in the New Testament on the concept of generosity and giving. And today we are peering into chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, and in these two verses, there's going to be four guiding principles to help us build a heart of generosity. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or open up the West Side app, where you'll find all the scriptures, as well as some notes that you can take. Okay, the first principle is found in verse 10. Paul writes, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, and then bread to eat. Let me read it again. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Here's the first principle. God is the supplier. Say that out loud. God is the supplier. The farmer did not create the seed. God created the seed at creation. Isaiah says a similar thing in Isaiah chapter 55. To reinforce the principle, he writes... The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They grow, they cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Isaiah's point, there is only one source 
Whether you believe in God or not, there is only one source, and that source is God. And one of the axioms for every follower of Christ, if you declare Christ as your Savior, is that you would come to understand that God is the supplier. But not only understand it, but that you would embrace it. But not only embrace it, but that you would celebrate that God is the supplier. Now, principle two makes it personal. God is my supplier. Say that out loud. God is my supplier. Paul writes, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Jesus' brother James put it this way. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Moses is going to take it out of farming lingo and maybe put it in a language that we understand today in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He writes, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Let me read that again. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What does that mean? It means that your IQ, your agility, your body, your strength, your personality have been uniquely given to you by God so that you can produce wealth for your family and for you to accomplish the purposes that he has given to you while you walk on this earth. David of the Old Testament writes this beautiful, beautiful song and prayer in Psalm 139. You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. David acknowledged that everything that he had in him was given to him uniquely by God so that he could produce wealth, and he did, and also fulfill the purpose by, for which God placed him on this earth. And out of that, he became a great shepherd. He became a mighty warrior and ultimately the greatest king of Israel. It came out of what God gave him to accomplish that purpose. Now, I am five foot, eight inches tall and shrinking. I was five foot nine in junior high. I'm five foot eight, soon to be five foot seven. And over my 35 years of ministry, uh, the most common thing said to me by a new person who meets me after the service is this, you look taller on stage. And I think to myself, that's how you want to begin this relationship. That, that's your opening line, right? Wow. And I say back to them, well, you look a lot more handsome in the congregation than you do in person. Yeah. I do not say that to them. But I think it. Yeah, right. I think it. And so you ask yourself the question, well, Randy, how do you reach things that are too tall for you to reach? Well, the answer would be a ladder. But what a hassle to carry a ladder with you everywhere you go, right? So if you've been watching carefully, you will note that almost all of my friends are very tall people. Yes, 
I'm very strategic about this. For example, here's my friend Jared, very good friend of mine. There he is right there. Yeah, yeah. And so whenever I can't reach something, Jared reaches up and gets it for me. And here's the thing. It goes back and forth. If something falls into a very small place, I crawl in and get it for him. We are brothers in Christ, man. We help each other out. Yeah. And, um, and then if you're thinking to yourself, hey, we can take out the little pastor, right? Uh, think again, because Jared serves on our security team. Right, right. You know what his nickname is? Goliath. Yeah, yeah. The only way you're taking him out is if you're really good at a slingshot. Yeah, that's the only way you're taking him out. Now, some of you have met my son. We have three sons, but our oldest son, uh, he's been here uh, a couple times, one time to speak when I first arrived. His name is David, and David was born without a left hand. Everything just right below his elbow is missing. And if David were to be standing in front of you today, he would say, Apparently, everything that I need in me to produce wealth for my family and to accomplish what God has for me on this earth doesn't require that I have a left hand. Today, David is 36 years old. He is an attorney. He is a partner in a major national law firm. His office is at 1717 Pennsylvania Avenue, directly across the street from the White House. God has given him the ability to make wealth, so much so that he's not on my payroll anymore. And today, he makes more money than his dad does. And I am hoping and praying that soon I will be on his payroll. This is what we are, we are, we are hoping for. And not only has God given him that ability, but David and his wife Gretchen give more money away than most people I know, and he has been able to do a lot of good in his life. Uh, here's a picture of David. Uh, you'll see he's done all of this without a left hand. He trims up his suits and gets them tailored uh, so that uh, it fits him. Apparently, he doesn't need a left hand. Now, David would, would tell you that if you were to enter into a competition with him on the monkey bars, you would win. Or if he were to become a, a professional trapeze artist and suspend in midair, this would not be a good career for him. And he would admit that right up. But here's the deal. God hasn't called him to play on the monkey bars. God hasn't called him to be a trapeze. Maybe he's called you to that. Good luck with all of that. But God hasn't called him to do it. He's called him to do that which he is able to do based upon what God has given him to produce wealth and to accomplish every purpose that God has for him on this earth. It was my father-in-law who really first uh, drilled this principle into me, not by his words, but by his actions. So uh, when I was 15, I went over to Rose Ann's house, uh, my wife, for the very first time, and uh, he was sitting at the dinner table, uh, and they were having pasta. They are Italian. It's pasta all the time. And... Uh, and he asked us to pray. And growing up in an unchurched home, I had never in my life been at a table where someone was going to pray before the meal. Never. And we bowed our head, we closed our eyes, and this man, who, by the way, God gave the ability to own grocery stores, so he was very wealthy, and in addition to that, he owned all of the food. 
And he bowed his head and he prayed, God, thank you for providing this food for my family. If you had not provided it, we would not eat. And I could stand it no longer. Why is there anybody else having a problem with this prayer other than me? Why is he thanking God for the food when he owns the grocery store? This is ridiculous. So I peeked. And all of the four children and the wife had their heads bowed and their eyes closed with a smile on their face. Why? Because they felt secure that her husband and father was humble enough to bow his head and say out loud, yeah, I have a grocery store. Yes, God's given me the ability to produce wealth. But if he hadn't chosen to give it to us, we would not have it. And I remember it was that day I said, I may never have a dad like this, but I want to be a dad like that. And if you ever come to the Frazee table with only one exception, and that is on my birthday, I will say the prayer. I never pass off the opportunity to humble myself before my wife and before my children and before anybody who is in the home to say, make no mistake, everything that you see and everything that we have has been given to us by the gracious hand of God. God is my supplier. And this is true for you. God has supplied you with everything you need to produce wealth and to accomplish the purpose he has for you. And this is so freeing because you don't have to go through life comparing yourself to somebody else but rather you give your life in time to become the best version of you as you possibly can with what God has provided for you. And to do otherwise would be an insult to God who inserted these things in you for a distinct purpose. So I'm going to ask you right now in the personal time of prayer, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to talk to God, just whisper it. I want you to, first of all, if this is you, I want you to acknowledge before God that he is your supplier. God, you are my supplier. I want you to acknowledge that he has given you everything you need. Acknowledge before him, God, you have given me everything that I need to produce wealth and to accomplish the purpose you have for me. Declare to him that today and moving forward, you're going to seek to be the best version of you with what he's given you. And finally, just whisper a thank you that he has supplied all this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul's not done yet. Let's keep reading in verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Let me read that again. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. In the scriptures, anytime you see the words so that, circle them and pay attention because the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is going to give you the so what. The so what. The reason God is enriching you in every way, not just financially, but in every way, is so that you can be 
generous. Our third principle is, it's not all for me. Say that out loud. It's not all for me. One more time. It's not all for me. We believe, from our point of view, that the more we give, the less we have. So if you have $100 and you give away $50, you have $50 less, $50 left, which is less than $100. But in God's math and economy, it doesn't work that way. Listen carefully. God, throughout Scripture, has told us and shown us that he is inclined to give people more who are more generous. Let me say that again. God is inclined to give people more who are more generous. So let me ask you a question. If you were God, would you give yourself more money? The Bible tells us that believers in Jesus are conduits of God's grace. We are a river. It flows to us and through us to others. And this is not just with our money. The Bible tells us it's with our possessions, it's with our relational network, it's with our skills, and it's with our time. The first time I feel like I got this through to my four small children was when we were in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And God had given us enough wealth to put in a a built-in swimming pool. Now, you've been to Dallas-Fort Worth. In the summertime, it gets really hot. If you get locked outside, you could die. And so it's not really a luxury. It's really a medicinal necessity. And so God, but God gave us the wealth to put in a pool in our backyard. And we told all of our friends, particularly young couples in our church who didn't have swimming pools, if you ever want to swim in our pool, you can come over anytime, even if we're not there, and swim in our pool. And they did. And we would oftentimes come over, come home, and there would be people in our backyard swimming in our pool. And one time, one of our children, left to be unnamed, said, Dad, why are there always people in our pool? And I knelt down, and I said, I have not been clear to you, I guess. This is not our pool. This is God's pool. Have I not told you that? Have I missed this? Have I not said it enough? This is God's pool, and he lets us have it to use for his purposes. Many times it's for us, but other times it's for other people. And I asked Jesus, I said, would you like me to let your pool be available to anybody who wants it? And he said, yes. And so it's not our pool, it's his pool. And if you don't get that figured out, you're going to get a spanking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right? Jesus said, very famous words, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want to know if you have a heart of generosity, just take the last month of your check register, your credit card register, and your calendar, and tally it all up, and ask, what does this say about you? If you cannot demonstrate that you have realized that he's given you the ability to create wealth so that you can be generous to others, then there's something seriously punked about your faith. And you need to put the crosshairs on that 
and work on it. Because as followers of Jesus, today should be the least generous day you will live for the rest of your life. The least generous day. Why? God's design is that your generosity should grow every single day as you are increasingly understanding his generosity towards you. It's one of the driving values of this church. We only have seven of them, and one is generosity. God is generous to me, and so are we. Okay, our last principle, Paul finishes up verse 11 with these words. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Paul is speaking of taking the financial gift that the Corinthians are providing to Jerusalem, to the struggling church in Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. And the goal, when the believers in Jerusalem receive the generous gifts that you have provided, they will not thank you, they will thank God. They will not thank you, they will thank God, which leads us to our fourth and final principle of developing a heart of generosity. Our generosity draws people to God. Our generosity draws people to God. What an amazing privilege that we take what God has first given to us and, and then we give some of it out. It was his to begin with and they thank God. That's the goal. And I think of what we have been able to do collectively as we have been generous as a church. We are getting ready to break ground on a care center and this care center has also given us the ability through our generosity to add to our counseling staff and our care staff so that people who are hurting can come and we can meet them at their point of pain and they can be healed and that they would not thank us, but they would thank? They would thank God. We've been able to add through our generosity accumulatively seven area communities, mobilizing Westsiders uh, out in the community around elementary schools to be the hands and feet of Jesus to that school and to each other and to the hurting people. And we're going to start seven more next year because of our collective generosity. And what's going to happen is that people who don't know God, who are far from God, are going to find us there loving on them at their point of pain, and they're going to experience healing, and they're going to thank they're going to thank God. And because of our collective generosity, we've been able to give more money here in Kansas City to, to the needs of people all around this city and even globally to our One Life kids and all the work that's going on there. And these people are going to be baptized. They're going to come to know Christ. They're going to experience healing. And they're not going to thank us. They're going to thank, they're going to thank God. And so I want you to take a look at the journey that we've been on. And then I'll come out in just a moment and explain what we're going to do next. Watch this. So what we are doing is that we are calling the assembly of those who make up Westside Family Church together, whether you come in person or watch online, but you're engaged with us into a 40-day prayer and fasting season. 
In January, we entered into a 40 days of prayer and fasting with the sole purpose of fixing our focus on God and asking Him the question, what's next? What's next for our church and our individual lives and families? At the end of the 40 days, we simply went to the Lord and asked, okay, God, what do you have for us? And he led us straight to Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what it says. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. We are confident that this is what God has for us in this next season. To lean in and trust him for everything, to meet people at their point of pain, to love people right where they are. And we believe that God will bring even greater increases than we have ever seen before. People who are currently lost and alone that God is calling to himself. We are simply calling this unshakable. Westside Family Church was birthed in 1976 with a group of 29 people. And in four years, Westside Family Church will be 50 years old. And I really believe that in these next four years, God is going to do exponentially more than we ever imagined or dreamed of. And I want you to imagine with me in your mind's eye that there's a gathering like this. And this time, the people are putting your picture up. I'm gonna share with you uh, where we're at today. You okay with that? Let's invite some of our uh, students and children out. Let's give it up for them. Being able to make our first time commitment to Unshakable and become a part of this thing that's so much yes. bigger than us is exciting because we yes. see the things that, that are out there that we're trying to accomplish as a, as a body of Christ. If I look back at where we started our unshakable journey, where yes, it would have been a stretch, but it was still doable. We might have even taken credit for it. However, the place where we are now, only God get, can have credit for this. While we may have to trim some things in our life, are we living a sacrificial life? We may have to cut things off and trim things down to right. be able to accomplish what we're doing, but I think God's calling us to the next step of sacrificial life. Hold in your heart the moment of commitment and know that that is God asking you to be a part of what he wants to do and what he can do and what only he has the resources to do. We just get to be a part of it in our obedience. 
So we've come to uh, one of my favorite things if you're in a church like Westside, and it's a chance for us to worship God in a very distinct way. And so I just want to set up this first part by asking everyone to grab uh, an unshakable card. And for those of you who are visiting, we're not expecting you to make a commitment, but I'm going to tell you in a moment how you can uh, participate in this experience um, with us. Uh, if you open it up in the in inside panel to the right, um, the very top line is for those of you who weren't here last year or weren't able to make a commitment, and we're uh, asking for you to make an unshakable generosity commitment uh, for the next 12 months, December of 2023 to December of 2024. And this is not just uh, for unshakable. This is your total giving uh, to Westside. So everything that you uh, have been giving and you plan to give, you know, write that annual amount down there for the next 12 months. For those of you like Roseanne and I who were here last year and you made a commitment, uh, I want you to go ahead and uh, restate uh, your two-year commitment that you made, okay? Now, we're not going to double count it. Um, we're just going to ask you to go ahead and uh, write that down. So Roseanne and I wrote that amount down that we committed to last year. And you'll see right underneath this, now that we're at the midpoint, you can just check a box, I am confirming my commitment to finish strong. So that you check that box and said, okay, with God's help, we're going to finish this commitment by the end of 2024. And then for many of you, and you heard uh, one testimony, uh, people that said, you know, we were able to, were able to complete our two-year commitment, and we believe that God who gave it to us to begin with is asking us to do more. And so you not only put your two-year commitment down, but you'd put what you plan to give in addition to that over the next year, and then fill out the other information. So I'm going to give you a chance to just, uh, you know, if you need to talk it over with somebody or to pray or just to ponder or to fill this out, go ahead and do that. We're going to give you time, and then uh, I'll come out in a moment and give some further instruction. So did you hear the music uh, drop out a little bit? Did you hear that? 
You know why? It's because our board is so old, it's not even funny. But a part of the unshakable commitment, we get a new one. Can we hear the, uh, amen for that? Yeah. No more glitches. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Come on. Okay. Okay, so uh, this is a very tender moment. And um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Roseanne, I think, is going to come out uh, with me, my wife of 42 years. And, um, and what I'm going to ask you to do when you're ready is to come forward and uh, you're going to place your commitments in these receptacles right here. If you're in the South Sanctuary or on Speedway, they're off to my right. You'll see them. You'll come down the center aisles and come up onto the stage. And then there's one for everybody, so even the kids can do this. You take up one of these Caribbeans and you place it on this rope just as a, as a symbol, as an act of worship, as a declaration of your unshakable faith. And you can see we already have a bunch on here. That's because we've had one service already. And in addition to that, our students are the ones who stepped out on Wednesday night and went before us, which I think is really, really cool. And so Roseanne and I will go first, speed of the leader, speed of the team. And uh, we will place our commitment in, and then we will uh, place the Caribbeans on the rope. And then when you're ready, just come down the center aisles and then exit the aisles off to the side as we worship God together. Father, now receive this as an act of worship from us. Thank you providing the ability to produce wealth and for the call so that we could be generous. And we do that now in the honor of your name so that others will thank you for your goodness in their life. Amen. So it's one of the most beautiful sights. Um, for those of you who are guests, you know, feel free even after the service to come up and put a Caribbean or on the on the uh, rope because uh, we believe in the Big C Church and you maybe attend a church out of town or even in our city and we're all working together to make the name of Jesus famous in Kansas City and beyond. Don't you believe that, Westsiders? Yeah, we do. So participate with us in that. And um, I wasn't as nervous as I was the very first time we did this. Um, we give a Thanksgiving offering when we weren't in Unshakable, and they said, no, the people will come up and they will do this. And I said, but what if they don't? And up here all by myself, that would be so embarrassing. And the West Side family, man, just came up. So today I was like, God, you, you're having your way with these people. And uh, it's such a joy for me to serve as one of your pastors here. And I know Roseanne, hey, I'm on, this is, uh, geez. okay, I'm gonna say it. This is uh, Roseanne's favorite church that we've ever been at. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm sorry for all of you watching online, the other churches I've been at. We love you too, but that's what she said. It's the truth. Uh, we love this church. Yeah, now she's in trouble uh, with all of our Texas and Chicago fans and friends, that's for sure. But we want to thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. We're hoping that, um, that just, it's just an enriching time, you know, that we're not doing this reluctantly, but cheerfully recognizing that God has put all this in us so that we might be able, so that we might be able to be generous. That's a good reason to stay on this earth until we see Jesus face to face. And you got about 10 years before he comes back, so figure that all out. <laughs> Maybe today. For those of you who are visiting, we're so glad you chose to be with us. After the service today, we have a thing called West Side and Four. You'll see a green banner, and it says New Here. And if you'll give us four minutes, we'll tell you four things about West Side and give you a simple next step as well as a gift for you. 
And if today God has stirred you and you want to become a follower of Jesus after the service, head on into the commons and uh, we'll have men in red shirts there. We call them our deacons and they'd be glad uh, to talk to you about how to go public with your faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. Also want to let you know on December the 3rd, we are going to have, not this sun, next Sunday, but the next Sunday is going to be called our Big Give Sunday, and we did this last year. It's a Sunday we're asking all of us, Roseanne and I are prepared for this as well. We've waited until December 3rd to do this, to bring the largest gift of 2023 uh, on that day, either online or in person. It'll also be the day that we announce to you the results of what God has given us collectively through our generosity, and we're going to uh, start our At The Movie series. So don't be home alone. Now, way to go, Ryan. That was good. Okay, so, and I'm, I, I love to give you a blessing, but today we're going to do a, bit, a little bit different. We're going to give all the glory to God. It's called the doxology. A logos means the study of or the word of, and doxia means glory, and that's where the doxology comes from. It's, it's a word of glory to God. And if you know it, sing it with me. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father. said Amen. Amen. Have a great day church. Thanks for coming.